Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, November 19th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1 to 27. The Lord does not intend the new temple he shows Ezekiel to be empty. In today's text, Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord enter and fill this temple. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Ned Murby. Pastor Murby serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blackwell, Oklahoma. Pastor Murby, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. It's good to be on with you, Tim. Pastor Murby, I've started the last couple of episodes on this section of Ezekiel by reading this quote from Dr. Horace Hummel in his commentary, the very beginning of Ezekiel 40 to 48. He says, From almost any perspective, these chapters are among the most formidable and challenging in the entire Bible. And having gone through chapters 40 through 42, I can see why he says that. With, with that in mind, Pastor Murby, just as we approach chapter 43 today, what are what's the perspective? What do we need to do to get a handle on a, on a text that is among the most formidable and challenging in the entire Bible? Um, well, step one is find Jesus. Um, it's all about Jesus and um, if that's not our starting point, we can we can certainly run into error and confusion. Um, that's not to say that we won't leave a little bit puzzled. Um, God's word, you know, it, it contains a lot of material that we describe as as mystery, um, something that we can't fully wrap our heads around. Yet God has found it um, good and suitable to reveal this message to us through His prophet Ezekiel, and so. We do well to submit ourselves and, and our reason to his word and um, trust what Christ says. This testifies of him. That's that's a great start. Find Jesus. That's always going to be our goal. The The host of Thy Strong Word here on KFUO, Pastor Brady Finnern, likes to talk about putting on our, our Christ goggles, that we're always looking for Jesus in the scriptures no matter where we're reading. And that's certainly true here in this section of Ezekiel. In terms of where we've been so far in this particular section of Ezekiel, chapters 40 through 48, and anything in the prophet's ministry, what kind of context should we know as we approach chapter 43 today? Well, you know, of, of all the prophets, I think Ezekiel gives us the most detailed glimpse of God himself. Um, Isaiah, you know, in Isaiah 6, tells us of, of his encounter with God in the temple. And it kind of seems like the heavenly temple and the earthly temple overlap. And all of a sudden he can see the, the living God before him. But that's just a, a, a chapter. We're here in Ezekiel over and over again. Ezekiel describes these visions with the glory of the Lord. It, it's how his, his um, the book of his prophecy begins um, and, and that's what we're, we're seeing here. Um, we need to keep in mind how he was, was taken to Jerusalem um, in the spirit and saw the glory of the Lord leave the temple. Um, 
that's a, a message of law to to the people of God that that God was um, carrying out the the threats of the covenant that they were being disciplined, sent into exile. They had forsaken God, and and He is not going to to spare them. But now we see that there is comfort that comes after this, and and we'll see very soon the the glory of the Lord coming back, and and this is God recreating not just a temple, but recreating a people for himself um, that, that begins by God being present. God is present where his people are. We see that um, in creation. We see that at, at Exodus, the Lord hears the prayers of his people, and then he comes and reveals himself to Moses and leads the people out of, of slavery. He goes before them into the promised land. And, and now as God's people are in exile, he gives Ezekiel a message of hope that that the glory of the Lord will return and God's people will be reestablished. That comment that you made about God's temple being connected to God's people, I think is very helpful. I've been thinking just through Ezekiel here, we've been focusing on this you know, formidable section, chapters 40 through 48, that does focus on this temple that Ezekiel sees. And yet that can't be disconnected from what Ezekiel has seen previously. And and your comment brought my mind back to Ezekiel chapter 37, where Ezekiel sees that valley of dry bones and he prophesies to the breath and the Lord raises those bones to new life, such that the, the point that, that you brought to my mind was that there you've got the people of God, and now you've got the temple of God, and those two things go hand in hand. So the Lord, having raised his people into new life in himself, now he's going to dwell among them. And I, that's another one of those connections, I think, that's helpful for me as we go through a section of Scripture that is intimidating. There's going to be verses in this text, as we'll see, that, that we're not necessarily going to know exactly what to make of them. I will say, having read chapters 40 through 42, this chapter seems a little simpler to me than the previous material. It, there's there's some parts that, that are easier for me to say, I, I think I know what to do with that, whereas in the previous chapters there was maybe less of that. But that it, it's, it's less tedious than all of the dimensions that are yes. given in the chapters previous to, to this. That, that is certainly true. Yeah, and that, that might be it. There are less of the dimensions and, and more description and more more words from the Lord himself telling us what's going on here. In terms of what we're going to encounter in chapter 43, Pastor Murphy, how would you outline this chapter? What's the structure that we're going to see? Well, we see, you know, as I said at the very beginning of this chapter, the glory of the Lord returning to the temple, um, which means he's, his, his name is being placed there. He's, he's locating himself in a place where his holiness can be distributed to his people, um, and they can live under him and, and participate in, in his own holiness. Um, then we hear the Lord speak um, to Ezekiel, um, promising that, that he is establishing this as a place where, where he will dwell. Um, and, and promising that even though the people had defiled themselves, God is at work to put that away um and that's kind of verses six through nine um then we get ezekiel being told to 
to explain what it is that that he has seen the the prophetic responsibility to make known what's going on the promise that those who become ashamed of their past ways and in turn will will take this to heart um this is the new law the new torah um the new revelation of of god and then we have a, a long description of um, the altar and the consecration of that altar in, in, in verses 13 through the end of the chapter. And um, it, it all builds on the fact that God is present and God is doing something here. Well, let's go ahead and, and dig into the text then. We're in Ezekiel 43, beginning at verse 1. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision that I had seen by the Kabar Canal. And I fell on my face. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their whoring and by their dead by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places, by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorposts beside my doorposts, with only a wall between me and them. They have defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed, so I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their whoring and their dead, the dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. As for you, son of man, describe to the house of Israel the temple, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and they shall measure the plan. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits and its entrances, that is, its whole design. And make known to them as well all its statutes and its whole design and all its laws, and write it down in their sight, so that they may observe all its laws and all its statutes and carry them out. This is the law of the temple. The whole territory on the top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple." That takes us through verse 12 of the chapter, and the rest of the chapter will describe the altar, as you were saying earlier, Pastor Murphy. So as the text gets started, we have a pretty dramatic scene here. As you mentioned, we, we get past what can sometimes be tedious, the reading of all these dimensions, and now we see something happen. And what happens is the glory of the God of Israel is coming from the east. So let, there's a lot we can talk about here, Pastor Murphy. Let's start with just how this fits into the ministry of Ezekiel. He actually points to a couple of events earlier in his ministry himself. How does the glory of the Lord coming into this new temple, how does that fit with what Ezekiel has been seeing already and what he's prophesied previously? Well, so the, the two instances that Ezekiel himself points us to is the, the departure of the glory of the Lord um, that was back in in chapter 11, um, I believe that's right after the, the saints, the faithful few have um, the mark placed upon them to mark them as those who, who are faithful to God. But then God leaves and um, the city's forsaken. 
but but also then Ezekiel mentions that that this is the same image, the, the the same kind of visualization that God is giving to the prophet of himself, with which God first revealed himself to the prophet when when he at, at the very beginning of of the book of Ezekiel when Ezekiel's there by the Kebar Canal and he has this vision of you know dark clouds and the four living creatures on these wheels that turn in, in, in different directions and they all move together and um you know they, they carry the the throne of the the Lord basically and all of that which he describes in such detail and, and some of it can be kind of confusing detail yeah. for us um but but that, that very vivid imagery with which he opens the book all of that should come back to our mind now we he is seeing something just as great just as as wonderful and awe-inspiring um, but this time instead of the glory of the lord leaving the temple the glory of the lord is coming back to the temple right so i mean this really connects to the whole book of ezekiel it, it brings things uh, full circle all the way back to chapter one as you said and then particularly that section in chapter 11 where the glory leaves and that is connected to that that broader section of chapters 8 through 11 that we, when we looked at those really go together the abominations that were happening in in Jerusalem and in the temple as well as the marking of the faithful that as, as you brought out but then the destruction of Jerusalem that that is seen fully when the Lord leaves here he comes back it's it's the glory of the Lord coming back to the temple this is God dwelling with his people and again I mean uh, this is where I, I love this section of this part of Ezekiel because this is this is pretty clear what's going on if if there's going to be parts that are a little confusing here we see what's the whole purpose of this temple it's so that the Lord will come to dwell with his people and and that that disconnect us then outside of what we're seeing here in Ezekiel to the rest of scripture so this the vision that Ezekiel sees of the glory of the Lord returning to this this temple he's seeing how does that connect to other places in scripture where God comes to dwell with his people well it it should bring to mind for us the the consecration of the the previous houses of God beginning with the tabernacle at the end of the exodus you know God has already been leading his people in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire um, which that image should resonate with us when we hear Ezekiel's description of God coming to him um, but but God tells his people in in the wilderness, you know, this is how you are to construct my house. Um, you know, he, he gives Moses the instructions for how to put the tabernacle together. And he equips his people to to provide material goods. He equips them with the skill um, and, and the house is constructed. And then the, the glory of the Lord comes and dwells in it. Um, and then again, when when David has it in his heart to build a temple uh, a more permanent structure for the Lord, but the Lord tells him, no, don't do it. Um, but David makes plans, plans uh, again, that, that are, are divinely inspired based off of the, the heavenly courtroom of God. And, and he sets aside vast sums of money to, to be put towards constructing this temple that his son Solomon then builds. And when the, the building is completed, um, and it's at, at its consecration again God's glory fills the temple the the cloud the the glory of the Lord fills it so 
abundantly that the priests can't even go about their work anymore. They, they just, it's no longer about the people making sacrifices to God. It's just simply God being present and his people can do nothing else but, but bow down and, and worship him. So we have those, those past examples of God's glory coming and, and dwelling in a specific place um, among his people. There's also then looking forward language here that connects us to the book of Revelation and really quite a bit of what the Apostle John records for us in his various books that are in Holy Scripture. Um, the sound of many waters that, that Ezekiel hears, that's the same way that John describes the voice of Christ at the beginning of Revelation. Um, so there's all these, these threads that, that come through Ezekiel 43 that bring our minds and, and bring our imaginations as, as that capacity that God has given to us to, to engage and marvel in, in these descriptions. You know, it, it, it all is, is tied together by God's presence and, and his gracious coming to his people. One of the, the things that I, I think is striking in Ezekiel 43, when you compare it to uh, both uh, both the texts that you mentioned from the Old Testament and Exodus 40, but probably more especially in my mind, 1 Kings 8, where the glory of the Lord enters in Exodus 40, the tabernacle, and 1 Kings 8, the temple. The thing that that's missing in Ezekiel 43 compared to those previous experiences is the Ark of the Covenant. And it's it's a little more striking, I think, with the temple, because it's when the, the Ark goes into the building of the temple, that's when the glory of the Lord, this cloud, comes upon the temple. Here in Ezekiel 43, there's no ark. And that's that's true, not just in this particular scene of this section, but throughout these chapters, Ezekiel 40 through 48, there is no ark of the covenant in Ezekiel's vision of the temple, which when you think about the centrality of what that, that was for the tabernacle and, and the temple both, to have that missing is, it stands out. But I think what you're what you're doing when you're connecting it to Revelation and the vision that's there, it's it's almost like what Ezekiel is seeing here is is transitional. You know, he's using that Old Testament imagery and language of tabernacle and temple, all the while pointing us forward to what's going to happen in the New Testament, where the the temple, the tabernacle, isn't a building anymore, but it is Christ Himself as God who dwells among us. And I, I guess I. I wonder if the missing ark maybe is one way that, that the Lord is showing Ezekiel and his people that this is a, a time of transition looking forward again. Here, I'm trying to find Jesus, in other words, like you yeah. said at the very beginning. Well, um, and if you, if you think about it, the, the ark as it's being carried around is kind of like the throne marking the Lord's presence. This, this is where he sits. Um, and you, you have the cherubim, on the cover of the ark, but think about how Ezekiel sees God coming. He's, he's seated above um, these four living creatures. They, they kind of take the place of those cherubim, or it's, it's probably more accurate to say the cherubim are a visual representation of these four living heavenly creatures. Um, which again, John sees in his his vision of of heaven as well. Um, so why do you need a piece of furniture when Ezekiel is looking at the the real living creatures that carry God? And, and then he um, 
I, I need to make sure I'm not getting too far ahead of ourselves here, but um, God says that, well, this is getting, getting on to verse seven, if you don't mind. Go for it. The Lord, the Lord says, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of my people of Israel forever. Um, this is kind of greater than just the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. This, this is like, this is the place where God's feet rest, but he is, and as Solomon says in the dedication of the temple, no building can contain God. Um, you, you almost get the picture of like only God's feet can actually fit in this, um, this structure as, as, as great as, as it is um, because he's looking over the entire, an entire earth. But I, I think if um, let's just not try to surprise the listeners with anything at the end. And can we read a little bit from first John uh, from, from the first chapter of John's gospel? Oh yeah. That's, you that's mind where, if I do that? Yeah, you go for it. That's where my mind, my mind was going. So go for it. Read from John chapter one. Okay. So um, I'm going to read the first few verses and skip down to verse 14. So um, this is the, the Christmas day reading um, in the lectionary. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, and then John goes to describe the work of John the Baptist. And in, in verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Um, we, as, as New Testament Christians, we need to be hearing this as we hear Ezekiel's description of, of the temple and the glory of God coming back to the temple. Um, and it's just a little further on in, in John's gospel where, where Jesus cleanses the temple and then says, you know, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And John tells us the disciples didn't know what he was talking about, except when he had risen from the dead, then they remembered these words um, and they believed the scripture. Um, and, and I think John is thinking back to, oh, here is Jesus is where the glory of God dwells. You know, as Paul says, the fullness of the deity dwells in him bodily. Um, so this, this new temple does not match the temple that is built under Ezra. It, it does not match the description of the, the renovations that King Herod undertakes um, leading up to, to the ministry of our, our Lord. It, the dimensions don't fit anything that's ever been built. The, the activity that takes place there doesn't match any liturgy that's been carried out in any earthly temple. We have to understand that the fulfillment of what Ezekiel sees here comes in the person of Christ who brings God's presence wherever he goes um, and, and brings God's grace to us this is what what the law couldn't do what the the people were unable to live out the law and fulfill it and they're sent into exile because they turn their back on it god is promising that 
he will bring it to completion. And that is what he does in his son, Jesus Christ. So if, if we have that in mind, then there may be some details that were like, what exactly is Ezekiel saying here? But we, I, I think we can definitely get his message that th this is the gospel. This is God working for us to bring his holiness to us. Along with those same lines, just to, and I think, I think you've answered this already, but maybe just to be explicit about it, what we're seeing here in Ezekiel 43 and in this whole section, it doesn't quite match up with what Solomon's temple was. It doesn't match up with the temple that was built after they returned from exile, and even it was, as it was remodeled by Herod. But it was fulfilled, as, as you said, from we see it in John's Gospel particularly, it was filled in Jesus. Is this also then why we shouldn't expect that this building ever will be built in that same way? Yes, th this is not some prophecy that's held over from the Old Testament that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back. Th this has already been fulfilled in Christ. Um, and I, I really think that this, this is the turning point in, in this difficult section that, that you brought up um, that, that goes from, uh, you know, 40 to 48 or so, um, that if if we can hear the echoing between ezekiel and john you know john chapter 1 and ezekiel 43 you know verses 1 through 5 or so if we hear that echoing and can hold those descriptions of god's work in harmony with one another then from here to the end of the book of ezekiel we'll just see Christ again and again and again and again. Um, you know, you, you'll get to discuss the, the water that flows from the temple with another guest in a, a few days. And um, that's a beautiful picture of Jesus and, and what he has done for us. But it, it's not, yeah, you're, you're completely correct. This is nothing that mankind has to build in order for God to be able to complete his work. This is all God's gift to us. And, and what a wonderful gift it is in Christ for us, his church. We're going to pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel chapter 43 with Pastor Ned Murby, and we will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, November 19th. We're studying Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1 to 27 with Pastor Ned Murby. He is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blackwell, Oklahoma. 
Pastor Murby, prior to the break, we were looking at those first several verses of the chapter in which Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord come into this new temple. And we said these are fulfilled in Christ. We see that particularly in John's gospel. Before we move on from that section, just briefly, where we think about the temple, the place where God dwells, you know, we see in John's gospel, Jesus' own body is the temple. And, and we see in the book of Revelation, you know, the, the heavenly vision that there's no temple in the city because that's where God and the Lamb are. They're the temple. In terms of right now, in the New Testament, the Christian church, how, how, how do we see the temple today? Where is it that God is dwelling with his people now? Well, this, this is all part of you know, the, the now and the not yet of Christian eschatology, that, that God is fully with his people now. Um, and certainly he, he dwells with us through his word and, and through his sacraments. You know, if you, if you want to, obviously God is everywhere. He, he fills his creation, but if you want to go where God's gracious gifts, where, where his, his forgiveness, where his salvation are being handed out through his mercy, you go to where the where the church is, where the, the church is gathered around God's word, is marked by his name in holy baptism and, and gathers in that name every time we, we gather under the invocation um, and where Christ's own body and blood are given to us. His, his body and blood, the temple that, that he said would be destroyed and rebuilt, mm-hmm. that's given to us every time we come to the Lord's Supper. And then that's, that's the now, um, and there is certainly a visible aspect there. And, and praise the Lord that, that he saw fit to um, institute physical sacraments for us, that, that we have something tangible to hold on to. And yet it's, it's not quite what John sees at, at the end of Revelation and in Revelation chapter 21, where... Pardon me, I'm trying to turn the pages in my Bible. Um, where John says, I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is, again, you know, Ezekiel hears the Lord speaking from the temple. Here, John hears the voice of God from the throne um, behold, the dwelling place or the tabernacle of God is with man. That, that's the noun that's related to the verb used in John 1.14, that, that Christ, um, the word became flesh and made his dwelling or tabernacle among us. Here, John says, behold, the, the tabernacling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Th- this is ours already. Um, but, but the day is coming where, when God's gracious presence before us will be made manifest again in the person of Jesus Christ as he comes um, on the last day to raise the dead and call all the faithful to the blessed inheritance of eternal life. As the text in Ezekiel 43 continues, as you mentioned earlier in in verse 6, the prophet hears a voice coming from the temple, and and he speaks, son of man, and he he begins to explain. So it sounds like the Lord himself now is is telling Ezekiel, this is what's going on. 
What do we see in that next section, verses six through nine? Yeah, so we see God's promise that that He's going to dwell in the midst of His people, um, and He makes His promise um, that the house of Israel shall no more defile My holy name, neither they nor their kings by their whoring and by the dead bodies of their kings at the high places, and, and He goes on. And, and so this is kind of the reverse of chapter 11. You had mentioned how Ezekiel sees all the abominations taking place, and then he sees the glory of God leave. Now he sees the glory of God come, and once the glory of, of the Lord comes, the Lord says, the house of Israel won't defile my holy name anymore. And, and I think that this is probably best understood as not that God's people are going to whip themselves into shape and, and never be unfaithful as they had in the past. I mean, obviously, that's never going to be perfectly done until Christ comes again. Um, but I, I think what God is saying here is that the unfaithfulness of his people will not be able to undo his holiness. You know, the, the tabernacle is no longer needed when the temple is built. Um, I, I don't think scripture really gives us a record of, of what happens with the material of the tabernacle, but it's, it, it's no longer needed. So it just kind of fades out of the picture. The temple, we're told exactly what happens um, in, in places like Second Chronicles, um, in, in Ezekiel's prophecy and some of the other prophets. The temple is destroyed because of the people's unfaithfulness. But if... If this is talking about Christ coming in the flesh, as, as we have claimed, nothing that God's people do, nothing that the most avowed atheist can do, no mistake that you or I could possibly make, Tim, is going to remove God's holiness from Jesus Christ. And therefore, nothing can remove God's holiness from his church. This isn't a promise that everybody is going to be saved. You know, this, this isn't universalism, but, but this is the promise that we, God's people will not lose access to him. You know, there's, there's always the faithful remnant. And, and when Jerusalem is destroyed, there are those devout believers that no longer have a place to go to to worship because in general, God's people had turned against him. Um, but that won't happen once Christ comes in the flesh because not, because the temple has been destroyed and rebuilt and rebuilt it can never be destroyed again. Death no longer has any hold on Christ because he has risen from the dead. Um, and, and God's, you know, he prays before his crucifixion, Father, glorify your name. And God says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And, and that's talking of, of Christ willingly offering himself for the sins of the people. Nothing can undo that. Nothing can undo the atonement that Christ has made. Nothing can close the door that Christ has opened. Um, nobody else can shut us out of paradise because Christ has secured it for us. Maybe, as you were talking, maybe one of the ways we can think about that this section is that we see here the Lord promising to answer the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. As you're saying, you know, God's name is already holy all by itself, and it doesn't matter what you or I do, his name's going to be holy. Whether I pray for it or not, his name is holy, period, because he's God. 
and yet, what do we still, we still pray for it, that it would be holy among us. And I, I mean, that, that's kind of, as, as you're talking, that's kind of the way I was thinking through this, this part of the text, is that God's promising here, when you pray, hallowed be thy name, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to make my name holy among you. By getting rid of all of those defilements that you had brought in previously, I will see to that, so that my name will remain holy among you. It already is but I'm going to do that now for you, that, that gospel good news of, of what's there in the Lord's Prayer and, and certainly what's here in Ezekiel. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a wonderful application and in connection of this text to the Lord's Prayer. Um, Pastor Mark, well, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I, I was, was going to say, if we, you go. you're the host, you talk. <laughs> I was going to move us forward in the text, but I don't want to miss an insight that you've got. Well, no, because I was going to move us forward in the text. Then so I please we're, do. We're ready to go. <laughs> go for um, it. So, so, you know, and one of the reasons why I think we should understand this as they won't be able to defile God's name, even if they do engage in sinful practices, that's on them, not on God. It is, um, if it were just a statement of God saying they're going to be perfect, it doesn't fit with the the conditional statement that that comes in 10 and 11 in in verse 10 the lord says as for you son of man describe to the house of israel the temple that they may be ashamed of their iniquities this is a call for repentance ezekiel tell the people what i've shown you so that they become ashamed of what they have done and they shall measure the plan and if they are ashamed of all that they have done make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, its exits, and its entrances. Um, and, and again, if this, if this is all talking about Christ, and, and I wholeheartedly believe and claim that it is, um, then it, it's not just a physical illustration of a building that Ezekiel is conveying, but it is a manner in which God works. That if if they recognize their defilement, if they are ashamed, then then show them this picture of the temple. Show them this picture of Jesus that that for now is kind of hidden in the shadows, but I am revealing, you know, slowly through history and through my word. Um, then they will come to understand its arrangements, how it all works, what's really going on here. Um, so this is kind of a, a a blurry, shadowy picture that that we have, but the substance comes in Christ, and when when Christ comes, it shines a light on the Old Testament so that we see, oh yeah, this is this can only be Jesus. I, I think that's a really helpful comment, and particularly how these verses ten through twelve then really I mean, invite us to to understand this part of Ezekiel in the way that we've been saying, not as building plans that need to be, you know, built to exact specifications, as you saw with the tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus, but rather this is this is the Lord giving to his people, you know, a picture to hold on to that's going to point them forward to Christ. And when you when Christ comes and you have him, you're there like John in the second chapter of his gospel that Oh, he's been talking about himself, and, and and we realize that after he's risen from the dead. So I, I really think that that these verses here, verses ten through twelve, provide that almost interpretive key for us, 
so that we know that, that the Lord gives this vision to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel gives it to the people as a way to point them forward to the reality, the, the, the fullness of, of this in Christ. With, with that, Pastor Murphy, let's go ahead and, and take a look at the rest of the chapter. We come now to the altar. We've, In terms of the, the building that Ezekiel has been seeing, this vision, he's seen a lot of the temple itself, but hasn't seen many of the, the furnishings. And, and here we have one. We've got the altar, and that occupies the rest of the chapter. So we're picking up now in Ezekiel 43, verse 13. These are the measurements of the altar by cubits, the cubit being a cubit and a handbreadth. Its base shall be one cubit high and one cubit broad, with a rim of one span around its edge. And this shall be the height of the altar, from the base on the ground to the lower edge, two cubits, with a breadth of one cubit, and from the smaller ledge to the larger ledge, four cubits, with a breadth of one cubit, and the altar hearth, four cubits, and from the altar hearth projecting upward, four horns. The altar hearth shall be square, twelve cubits long by twelve broad. The ledge also shall be square, 14 cubits long by 14 broad, with a rim around it half a cubit broad, and its base one cubit all around. The steps of the altar shall face east. And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, These are the ordinances for the altar. On the day when it is erected for offering burnt offerings upon it and for throwing blood against it, you shall give to the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, who draw near to me to minister to me, declares the Lord God, a bull from the herd for a sin offering. And you shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar and on the four corners of the ledge and upon the rim all around. Thus you shall purify the altar and make atonement for it. You shall also take the bull of the sin offering and it shall be burned in the appointed place belonging to the temple outside the sacred area. And on the second day you shall offer a male goat without blemish for a sin offering. And the altar shall be purified as it was purified with the bull. When you have finished purifying it, you shall offer a bull from the herd without blemish, and a ram from the flock without blemish. You shall present them before the Lord, and the priests shall sprinkle salt on them, and offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. For seven days you shall provide daily a male goat for a sin offering. Also a bull from the herd and a ram from the flock without blemish shall be provided. Seven days shall they make atonement for the altar and cleanse it, and so consecrate it. And when they have completed these days, then from the eighth day onward, the priests shall offer on the altar your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, and I will accept you, declares the Lord God. That's the rest of Ezekiel 43. That was verses 13 through 27. So, Pastor Murby, let's make sure, kind of like with the first part of this text, that we have the big picture in mind, because we do come to another one of those sections where there's lots of dimensions, and, and even when you look at this in the Hebrew, there's some words that are architectural in nature and sometimes are, are a bit uncertain. So let's make sure we have the big picture in mind here. We've been talking about the temple that Ezekiel's seeing fulfilled in Christ as the dwelling place of God with his people. Why why such a focus here on the altar? How does an altar fit into that larger picture or add to that picture of God dwelling with his people? Well, the, the altar is really the, the place through which God's holiness comes to his people and, and his, his people are brought to him, you know, especially through the, the act of atonement, the, the sacrifices that are offered f- to cover the sins uh, of the people and that, that lifeblood being shed on behalf of another. And like you said, 
there, there's some uncertainty about some of these terms. So, you know, you could give this description and, and I mean, we could probably look at a handful of translations and get slightly different details because there's some difficulty in translating some terms. Um, if you gave different descriptions to different artists and they tried to draw a picture, we'd probably end up with slightly different looking pictures of, uh, of the altar. But what's, I think the, the, Things that are quite clear are that this is a very large altar, a very important altar. Um, and the priest goes up the steps on the east side of the altar, meaning that as the sacrifice is being offered at that altar, the priest is looking towards the temple, the dwelling place of God. Um, and, you, you know, we remember that when Ezekiel was kind of transported to the temple before he saw people worshiping the rising sun, you know, gathered in, in the courtyard of the temple and they were showing their backsides to God in the temple while they were, you know, um, committing this idolatry. Ezekiel here is showing us that this is the, tr the true worship of God is, is what this altar is all about. Uh, that connection again to that that section that we've been referencing, chapters eight through eleven, with the the direction is is certainly important for us to see. How does I mean? How does even that direction of of the way the the priest is to be facing? How does that connect us to what Jesus does? Well, what Jesus does, he he always does before God in, in the presence of God, and and especially when we're speaking of his his atonement for us, his, his self-sacrificial death on the cross, this is all done in, in view of the triune God, um, that our place is taken in before God's judgment. The, the punishment for our sins is, is on Christ. His life is offered to God in our place. Um, now, the Gospels don't tell us which direction the, the cross was facing, but it is very clear that that Jesus is thinking of God, you know, Jesus, who, who is who doesn't cease to be fully God, but but stands as the man, you know, even if that's what Pilate calls him, Eke Homo, behold, the man, Jesus stands as the human being representing all human beings. And, and he stands there before God. He hangs on the cross before God. He cries out in lamentation, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet in faith says into your hands, I commit my spirit. Um, so, so he is not just setting an example for us, but what Christ is doing on the cross is fulfilling this perfect worship at the temple of his body on the altar of, of the cross saying, here it is, God. Here's the perfect sacrifice. Here's the atonement for your people. That's a, a very helpful explanation, Pastor Murby. One of the, the things that does come out in this chapter and becomes a little bit more important in chapter 44 that we'll look at next week is the matter of where the priests come from. So here in verse 19 of chapter 43, he's told, you shall give to the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, why is that so important, and how does that connect us to Christ? Well, again, to understand this correctly, we need to remember the context of of this passage. That this, you know, the the chapters before and after it, 
demand that we think um, not of an earthly building, and, and this isn't an, a, a normal earthly ritual going on here, but this is God dwelling among his people in, in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Um, so I think this is the imagery that God uses to reveal to Ezekiel that it is a legitimate priesthood that carries on um, these the sacrifices. I mean, in, in Ezekiel's description, it's several sacrifices, but I think it's the multitude of sacrifices in Ezekiel that that points to the all sufficiency of the one sacrifice of of Christ, and and Zadok then his family you know we often see things getting whittled down um, by by families in the Old Testament, and and so you have the tribe of Levi's, and out of that Aaron's house you know were were the priests, but then in the in the time of of David, um, Abiathar the the other priestly line. You know, his family was not faithful. And this goes all the way back to the prophecy given to Eli that his family wouldn't serve as priests anymore because he didn't do enough to correct his sons when they were abusing um, their office as, as priests. And when Solomon comes to power, he tells Abiathar, look, you carried the Ark of Covenant before my father, David. I'm not going to put anybody to death who had that honor. But you go home and you stay away from the temple. You're done here. We want only faithful priests, only devout priests to, to serve in, in God's house. And, and so it, it, the priesthood gets limited even further from Aaron's family down to um, his descendant Zadok and, and his children. So when Ezekiel says the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, what we need to understand is the true priesthood. Is, is being represented here. Um, and even though Jesus himself isn't a descendant of Zadok, he is, as the author of Hebrews describes to us, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That is, he is a legitimate priest offering a legitimate sacrifice when he offers himself on Calvary. And, and in that way, Jesus, of course, fits into the picture that Ezekiel is given here of the legitimate priesthood that's going to serve here in this this temple. Again, this is pointing us forward to Jesus. Pastor Murby, we've got about four minutes left here on the morning, and, and there's certainly many details that we didn't touch on, and, and if you want to pick up any of them, that's great. But as we conclude our, our study this morning, particularly help us to see, again, how this chapter functions as a whole in both the glory of the Lord and the altar to point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, the, the glory of the Lord, as, as we see time and time again, is a terrifying experience um, when we are not confident of the atonement that Christ has made. You know, Ezekiel, I mean, see, I, Isaiah you know, says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. Um, He's terrified. Ezekiel, even when 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 the glory of of the Lord comes, he falls down on his face. Elijah, when when he goes to the mountain of the Lord, and and the Lord reveals Himself even in a still small voice, he covers his face. Um. So, 
the glory of God is only comforting to us when we know that we are being brought into it through the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us. And, and so it's awesome. It, it's, you know, awe-inspiring to see this great cloud of glory come to the temple. But that does not yet give us comfort or peace. But when the sufficient sacrifice is made, when the legitimate priesthood, that is Christ, offers the sacrifice of his body on the cross, the complete, final, once-for-all sacrifice that every other sacrifice in Scripture points to, then the Lord closes this chapter by saying, when they have completed these days, that, that is, in the, the picture of all these sacrifices, which points to the one sacrifice of Christ, when all of this is done, from the eighth day onward, the priest shall offer on the altar your burnt offerings and your peace offerings. That means worship and being in God's presence can, can take place. Then God says, I will accept you, declares the Lord. And that word of promise tied to the sacrifice, which we know to have been accomplished in Jesus Christ, is where this chapter of scripture brings us comfort and peace and joy, because we know it's not about a temple that you and I need to go buy real estate in Jerusalem and start constructing this building. It's about a temple that Jesus came, the flesh that he bore, the flesh in which he died and yet lives and reigns forevermore. That is where we have acceptance with God. That is where God's name is undefilable. And we are brought into that temple by virtue of our baptism to live as members of Christ for eternity. Pastor Ned Murray is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blackwell, Oklahoma, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1 to 27. Pastor Murray, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, it's been a joy. Thank you for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.